Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Hard Currency, the Financial Times podcast on the foreign exchange market. I'm Roger Blitz and the European Union bigwigs are meeting in Brussels with a long list of problems on their plates. Migration, Brexit, German Chancellor Angela Merkel's coalition being under threat, Italy's challenge to the Eurozone and populism on the rise. EU watchers, though, might think that since this is an all too familiar diet, investors can happily keep their focus on the data and monetary policy and let the politicians take their natural or unnatural course. So are they correct? Well, John Wraith, the economist and rate strategist at UBS, is our guest to discuss all these things. John, in that context, let's look at what's been going on this week, which have been worrying investors by comparison. We've got trade wars, China stocks being off a rising dollar, oil at a three and a half year high. So you can understand why this EU summit is not exactly front of mind for investors. No, and and as you say, it's a fairly familiar list, but I think two things are different. One is that they all seem to be um, coming to the fore at the same time in a negative way. And the other is that certainly some of them seem to be more serious than they have been for a while. So um, migration, for example, as an issue has, has really come back to the fore partly because this is the time of year, of course, when um, migration into the into the EU picks up, partly because of Chancellor Merkel's position at home. So, you know, the summit is understandably focusing on some of these issues, which do pose either fairly immediate or, or at least existential threats to the EU and, and its and its structure. What kind of an impact do you think, if, if the Merkel coalition collapsed, what impact do you think that would have on markets? Well, a, a, a very serious one. I mean, clearly, um, the, the, the sort of rise of populism is more evident in other places and and um is, is an issue that's been well covered and so far one that's been fairly well contained but that's partly because um the german political backdrop has been so relatively stable for a long time and were that to change and particularly in in the context of the largest and um you know most rapidly growing economy in the eurozone then i think that would be a, a whole step change yes. in seriousness i mean it's it's not just uh, investors who have trouble keeping up to date with um, European issues, but but European politicians themselves, particularly when it comes to Brexit, which has been a very uh, difficult issue to to find progress on. So it's not surprising, say, that the pound remains fairly, you know, stuck in a rut until we get some kind of solution. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think in terms of the EU itself and in the context of those other issues, one thing that's striking about Brexit is how they have kept a very collegiate position. There haven't been any cracks showing in the EU side of things. I mean, this, you know, this summit, let's not forget, fairly recently was 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 hoped this would be when the solution to the Irish border was presented and, and the, the withdrawal deal potentially signed. The withdrawal deal potentially signed. Um, clearly, we're nowhere near that. They, they are not even anywhere close to agreement on the backstop deal, never mind, um, you know, what, what the, the solution might be. So, you know, that does tell you that, that progress on Brexit is worryingly slow. And although that's not new, what is obviously 
um, slightly different now is how much time remains until the two-year Article 50 period ends. And I think the fact it's getting closer with so little resolution on things is one reason why Sterling's under fresh pressure. Fresh pressure, although it's, if you like, looking soggy and sad rather than uh, in crisis. But I suppose investors are playing this kind of 11th hour game. They're kind of waiting to see the outcome. And that sounds like a dangerous game to be playing. But can you blame them? No. Uh, and, and you know, we've had a sense. I think there's more than one reason why it is likely to go down to the wire, as it were. And, and um, in the fourth quarter of this year, we're going to be in a very serious position. And it does remain our central view that things will ultimately work out OK in the end, partly because for all sides, that not being the case is such a serious, uh, serious risk. So we do think that the desire is there to get a deal signed in time. But... Um, you know, with this summit passing seemingly with no progress at all, it does mean we are now looking at the fourth quarter of the year for progress. And there's an awful lot that remains to be done. So although, as you say, and I think rightly, sterling is sort of soggy and soft rather than falling sharply, if we end up in early October, let's say, in a similar position to now with a whole list of issues that are still far from resolution, I think the slide would become more rapid. John, we've had um, lots of headlines made by the likes of Airbus saying that they can't see Brexit helping their kind of investment strategy. Far from it. Are you seeing any kind of signs that uh, investment in the UK is now going the wrong way? Well, it's, it's difficult because investments are a very volatile component of GDP. But if you look back in the sort of five years leading up to the referendum, albeit, as I say, it was a volatile series, business investment averaged around 4.5% year on year. Since the referendum, it's averaged about 2% year on year. So it's halved the rate of, of business investment. Um, the Bank of England are optimistic that it'll pick up soon, not least because the labour market's tight in the UK and rates alone, this is economically a good time to be investing. So the fact it hasn't yet picked up, um, I think, is attributable to Brexit. Uncertainty is a key driver uh, of investment, or, or rather, in this instance, the lack of investment. And whether we talk about specifics like Airbus, I think more generally for the sector, the longer they don't have clarity, the more likely they are to have to put contingency plans in place. I think that's just a logical conclusion. And yet here we have the Bank of England trying to encourage us the idea that they are going to raise rates. I seem to remember we were discussing this very thing this time last year, and you were saying you, you doubted it then. I'm sure you're doubting it now, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I have some sympathy. You know, they, they talk about the fact that unemployment is very low. And, and in their view, anyway, wage inflation starting to pick up. And there's sort of some grounds for optimism around real incomes um, with inflation slowing at the same time. But, you know, for us, that's that's really looking at a very narrow gauge of what's going on in the economy. And there is this much bigger picture where all the risks, it seems to us, or almost all the risks are to the downside, and some of them are very serious. So with inflation behaving very well at the headline level, and earnings only picking up marginally, um, inflation expectations contain, it seems to us there's very little argument for tightening monetary conditions. And by doing so, sort of doubling down a bit on the risks the economy already faces. So we can see, I mean, it's very clear from their language and and indeed their voting record that they want to get another rate hike over the line 
um, in the coming months, and they they may be able to do so, but we're very sceptical about the the real need to do so. At least the UK or the BOE can say they're in good company because actually Eurozone data is also looking a little bit soft, to say the least. I mean, wrapping up, you know, the, the issue about Eurozone data with this EU summit and the pressures that they're under, can you just explain the extent to which this really should be actually a gender item number one at Brussels? Well, you know, the jury's out. You know, you know the first quarter growth was weak, um, a range of Western economies attributed in part anyway to bad weather and in Europe they had a series of strikes and a big flu epidemic and so on and therefore there is hope that growth will bounce back in the second quarter and beyond Um, and if it does the ECB no doubt will stick to its path I mean it's a long way behind the Bank of England and obviously the, the Fed even more so but it will stick to its very careful gradual path if growth remains upbeat the problem of course is as we were touching on before if it doesn't then you know the decline in unemployment, for example, that we've been seeing as the eurozone economy has has turned the corner over you know the recent past, will slow down and potentially go into reverse. And for politicians, that will add to social unrest, social pressure from their home economies to, as it were, look after number one. And that obviously means coming to some sort of loggerheads on occasion with other European governments. So I think it will be high at the agenda um, in the context, of course, of these other issues like migration and and trade policy and so on. But um, if Eurozone growth could re-accelerate, that would certainly make all of this a, a less um, concerning situation for the Eurozone leaders. So what do we conclude? I mean, You wouldn't say investors are complacent about European issues right now. The fact, though, that they aren't responding in any way to them is an indication that we're all in this flat, plateauing period of of what you might call mild uncertainty rather than serious uncertainty. No, yeah, and I certainly don't think investors are complacent. I think there's been a clear uptick in, in nervousness about what's going on in a range of economies for a range of different reasons. Um, uh, but, you know, at the moment, this, this is the way that, that it's been explained, for example, by the Bank of England. There's no r- obvious reason why growth in the EU or the Eurozone specifically should suddenly start to slow down. They're very early in this in this cycle. Unemployment can clearly come down a lot more. They've got hugely accommodative policy in place. Um, growth shouldn't be slowing of its own accord, as it were. But it wouldn't be the first time in economic history that such a thing has happened. So there's nervousness. It abounds out there. At the moment, people think this must be temporary because there's nothing to really stand in the way of a, of an, of a Eurozone recovery. At this point, aside from issues like trade policy, which obviously is a, a new issue and outside of their control to a degree. Um, but people are watching carefully, not least because, of course, let's not forget, if things do go wrong, at a Eurozone level, a global level for the UK, there's such little policy ammunition to fight the next downturn. So people are nervous, but at this point, they're still keeping the faith that things are going are to improve again. Nothing, in conclusion, nothing, I think, explains this mood other than the euro. There it was, right at the beginning of the year, you know, punching around, you know, in, in great form, as you like, you know, soaring away, 125. The euro was $1.25. Now it feels like it's actually being pushed and pulled by the greenback. It feels like, you know, the complete reverse. Yeah, or maybe, maybe to be fair, as it were, to the eurozone, it's more about the dollar being, you know, a safe haven again. Yeah. Uh, this episode is, it's not about widespread euro weakness. I mean, the euro is... Uh, you know, holding its own or even strengthening a bit, for example, against sterling at the moment. Um, but, but you know, the fact that the US dollar is resurgent against most people's expectations is because 
issues like potential trade wars and and uh, and all these other tensions we've been talking about are suddenly back in focus and people are running for cover so yes the euro back at uh, i think 116 now against the dollar you know does does certainly tell a fairly striking story my thanks to john wraith of ubs join us again next week for more on trade wars the dollar and the euro until then from hard currency it's goodbye selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.